Hey everyone, welcome back to Engineering Etc. My name is Tony Casera, and I'm joined here by my friend and co-host Gabriel Grover. Hello everyone. And today we're going to be talking about half a decade with React. What are our thoughts after so much time spent in this interesting and fun ecosystem? So just a little bit of background. Gabe and I are engineers who have spent a lot of time working with React. I personally have worked on with React pretty much since I started being a full-time front-end engineer. Gabe, what's your history like with React? I think it's about the same. I've done, and I consider these really similar, but I've done also kind of equal amount of time with React Native as well. I've done one project in React Native as well. I think React has changed a lot in the time since we started with it. So we both started when React was still entirely class components before hooks. And hooks came in and, you know, the idea that a lot of stuff around life cycles were abstracted away. Now I've come to resent that. Let's steel man hooks first. What does steel man mean? <laughs> it's the opposite of straw man. Oh, okay. Okay, sure. Yeah, I, yeah. All right. That's a new one to me. <laughs> sure. Let's let's talk about the benefits because there definitely are some. The main benefit for me was to share logic between components without... Do you remember how we used to do it? You used a higher order component, which higher order components are... In okay. theory, they make sense. Yeah, yeah. And, but people went buck wild with them, where you have higher order component chain of oh. 10 wrappers, and then when you're trying, to, you're, you're trying to diagnose an issue, you're in a specific component, and then you, you see this, light, this variable coming through, you're like, where is this coming from? <laughs> yeah. Like, is this being passed to this component it's like no it's being injected through some higher component up in that chain and it's it's awful yeah i remember i worked (laughs) at a company we had redux and we had material ui and we had to use the theme provider so it would be like with store with theme like wrapped around that and then you might even have another hoc that's one that you have in your own company so Mm -hmm. you just have like these three hocs and you're just like oh my god i can't keep track of what's going on here yeah it's just component inception Yeah, I do love having hooks for stuff like that now. I do think that that is definitely a big benefit. Totally. There is, though. So that's the steel steel man for me. There's There might be be some other things, but in my experience, that was the big win. I did like the introduction of the reducer uh, function, the use reducer function. because I never use that. See, I almost never use it either. But what I liked about it is that it encouraged you to use smaller bits of state for use state versus using giant objects, which is something that happened a lot. And then you'd have issues with like knowing whether or not to update the component. Are you talking about like component state or like global component state context? So so like you have like this dot state inside of your function, like in a class component, and then you have use state in the new one. And I feel like I saw a lot more in class components, people using giant objects, like to just be stored in state. And then you have like the problem of like determining whether or not a component should re-render based on, you know, the the way that it's doing a, a comparison, like a shallow comparison or right. something. And I feel like the answer to that was to use something like context or Redux or whatever to move a lot of that big state out and then try to only select small pieces. But most people didn't do that. I feel like in the React Hooks world, because of the way a lot of the documentation is written and the way that like use reducer exists, it's easier to say, hey, use state, try to use small, meaningful pieces of state. Use reducer is for using bigger pieces of state. And the truth is no one wants to use both of them. So they end up using use state anyhow and then move their data somewhere else. It's like a little bit of like nudging the developer to not keep such big, big objects in state if they can help it. I see. Yeah. I always just default to use state. I mean, me too. I almost yeah. never use use reducer because if I do, I think about how can I move this out to a global store or something like that or context. Yeah. Oh, 
here's also the big win for me when it comes to hooks. It made using leaning on React's context primitive for global state way more attractive to me. Because before, when it was class components, it's just, it's there, it's binded to your, your this, right? And it's... It's like, where is this coming from? <laughs> you know, you because it, it's just part of the other properties of your component. And it's like, are these properties passed to this component from someone who's mounting it? Who knows? <laughs> but with hooks, you have to explicitly use the use context. I like to just wrap that in my own named hook. Yes. So if it's like use user data or whatever you know i put the i have that function called use user data and in the body i'm doing the use contacts and all that so i so you're just bringing a you're just importing a hook and you use it it's there there's no confusion as to where that data is coming from because it's right there on the line where you're calling that function yeah it's not just in your properties which properties can be coming from anywhere (laughs) like in in that non-hook like class-based use of context and yeah that's so those are the two wins for me like sharing of logic and making a global state management through react context just a way better dev experience yeah no i and i agree with those i think they're i think they're great i think though that it becomes more problematic when you have engineers who maybe don't understand how the life cycle event loop kind of happens for yeah we can talk about foot guns now yeah yeah please yeah (laughs) no like hooks are here to stay no one's ever going to go back to writing class components and like i know react has made it very clear that's that's the way forward whatever you know until they've decided that class components are superior again and it's new classes 2.0 right (laughs) but i think it's it's important to note that it's like very easy to end up with infinite loops in your code with this way of doing it i feel like it was a little bit more easy to diagnose and like see that stuff was going to kind of infinite loop out with the life cycle methods. No one notices for a while. And it's just like, ah, it's until it's, you get that AWS bill. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's some things that can protect you from it, but some of those tools kind of nudge you into getting those infinite loops as well. So like, for instance, like there, there's a ESLint rule that you can do for the dependency array. Mm, yes. In yeah. for your use effect hook. Yeah. Right. I think it exists for like use callback and use memo also, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But it's mainly I don't see people using those as much as a use effect. Like you, they should be using use callback. Anyways, we 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 can. Get oh, back. I got some thoughts on use callback and use memo, but okay. So. <laughs> Use effect, right? So, so say you you have another hook that returns some function, like use query from Apollo client. Sure, or something. okay. <laughs> or referencing last episode, yeah. Some some hook that returns some function, some function you're gonna call, and say you want to call that in your use effect. Yes. If you don't put that function in the dependency array, you'll you'll get an error, like ESLint right. error, right? Yeah. But sometimes that that external library not. Not Apollo, but sometimes some hook you're using, they don't properly state manage the value of that function. And if you put in that dependency array, it's a function object. It'll change. 
it can change. Well, because the reference every time the component renders is not the same. Like you're yeah. getting, you're basically getting a redeclaration of function and object every time. Totally. Which is like a, a thing of a feature of JavaScript or whatever. Like, yeah. So that use effect will just keep running endlessly. So you have to use use callback to make sure that it's the same reference every time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen some places where they'll just leave that out of the dependency array and just do an ESLint ignore comment. <laughs> Which is like, what, what's even the point in having the ESLint rule there in the first place? Exactly. And, it's, yeah. and it causes more bugs because now you don't get an ESLint error when you should have put something in the dependency array because it's ignoring everything. Right. Now you've changed your code. You've added another variable that you forgot to add to the yeah. array. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. So there's, that's, that's one thing I've seen is kind of just troublesome and, wreaks a lot of havoc in a code base for sure. Yeah, and and I think in React code base. On that path too, so like with use effect and other ones, like I was saying I had some thoughts on use callback and use memo. I feel like there's this They're really ugly. Well yeah, (laughs) first of all, they're really ugly, but I see people misusing them all the time where someone goes, I don't want to do like I want to do an expression because I want to figure out something. So like I want to do a bit of conditional logic to determine what to render here, what to assign to this variable. And so what they'll do instead of like, say, like an immediate invocation function or uh, instead of like defining a helper outside, they will do a use memo and they will just put an anonymous function that does that right there. And yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it's it's not the intended use of use memo. Uh, And so the problem with that, there's a couple things like Kenzie Dodds writes about that, like using use callback and use memo, they have performance costs associated with them. They take up more space in memory. And so because of that, like, typically if you're using them, you should be using them because you have a need to use them, not just because, oh, that seems nice. Or, oh, I don't feel like defining my helper function and then passing a couple of properties to it, you know. These things end up bloating sort of like your your, your runtime because you have all this space being taken up by memory now. And the problem is that, like, use callback can be used very effectively. Like, I can tell you, I know of a specific example where we had a 3,000 line table where we were getting all kinds of just lag like it was clearly the main thread being blocked when we were scrolling up and down and we needed to use callback on the data that was being passed to these these rows so that they didn't all render every time that something changed with one of them or you were scrolling down and like loading more of them onto the page totally and like that that's where like using use callback is great but i see so many people who just throw it in there going oh this will make it more performant without actually even trying it yeah and like that to me is just like you're just throwing stuff and hoping that it works or hoping that someone else will see it and think, oh yeah, use callback. That's that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. I'm kind of seeing like a general theme with the issues that we keep bringing up. And it's it seems to me it's it's really kind of like the the engineers themselves, you know? No one reads the documentation. Yeah. No one like, like looks for best practices. <laughs> There's there's an issue when you have I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little smack right now. It's a, there's an issue when you when you try to hand tools that help performance. I'm doing air quotes to <laughs> a demographic of developers who, on the whole, aren't really concerned or go throughout their day not really concerned with performance. Which I'm not saying all front end engineers don't care about performance, guys. So relax. But there's kind of like a, a culture of like, oh, it's just clients, just. React, we don't have to worry about performance too much. And and they, they don't really have practice in that. So it really, it takes like, I think like a engineering culture to a good one to really hammer those down, you know? I, I agree 
so much. Like so much of engineering culture should be about sharing and like teaching and learning about what you're working on, right? Like someone's going to have some piece of information that someone else doesn't. And like, there are ways to like have these conversations where you can actually be like, Hey, this probably isn't the best way to do it. You know, if we're being performed, we do this. And like, I like, for instance, I didn't know this, but like, it's actually like kind of a generally agreed upon practice that like using memoization on a react component, like the entire component is generally considered okay. Like, even though it does take up more space in the, in the, in the memory, like apparently when we talk about like the benefits to not having that many re-renders, especially if you have like, say a very complex page, for instance, at Twitter, we memoized every single component. Like that was just the default. You create a component and it was wrapped in React memo at the bottom of the file. Mm. And when you have thousands of React components rendering on the page every time and you're scrolling down and thousands more are loading in, it seems probably to your benefit to, to do that in that situation. If you have a personal website that you're building, it's probably not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else do we say on this topic? Well, I, I don't think we can talk about React without talking about the framework wars that have kind of come out from it, right? You've got React and you've got Create React App, which is no longer maintained by Facebook, right? It's its own open source thing now. You've Wait, got, do you mean like the tooling around? Like, yeah. Okay. Like, there's Next, there's Vite, there's, gotcha. uh, there's Remix. Framework wars within React ecosystem. Yes, yes okay. of course. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I'm just trying to, I mean, there's other stuff too. There's there's Preact. There's, I feel like there's one more I'm missing that also uses React. But basically, there's all these different ways you can write React. And a lot mm. of them typically come down to like, do you need server-side rendering or not? Like, if you need server-side rendering, I feel like Next.js is a no-brainer. Like, we, wait, were you still at Thrive when we switched to Next.js? Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really like Next. Like, yeah, I do too. I just, I think it's it's really rare where in my opinion that you need you 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 even need server side rendering i don't know like i guess i shouldn't say that like as a blanket statement cuz most of most of the situations i've been in it's like a heavy client side you need heavy client like web app single page app like functionality and when you need to reach for that in a next js environment it's it's getting better with Next.js 13, I feel, but it's still not intuitive at all. Like, is this a client-side component or is this a server-side component? And then there's rules between passing data between those that you have to be aware of. And it's... Right. How do you hydrate on the client? And... Yeah, Next.js 13 tries to abstract that, but it comes with its own kind of weird Next.js things. Yeah, but I you're did making it. You're making a valid point, though, which is that, and this goes back to what we just about engineering culture, you need to question whether or not you even need this tooling, right? Yeah. In, totally. in a lot of cases, a lot of SaaS services are perfectly fine as client-side. The only reason you really do server-side, it's not so much the performance, like maybe in some situations it, it could be, but the real reason you do server-side is because you need the metadata for the search engine, right? So like at a company like Thrive Market, right. it made sense to do server-side rendering because we needed those products to have all their description and stuff show up in search engines so that they would be able to be indexed by the crawlers. Totally. And there's other ways we could do that too without doing server-side rendering. There's there's other ways to like cache, you know, that information, that metadata so that it's it's not there, but you know, the the Next.js just kind of became the way that we went because we had this custom implementation that sort of worked but also was like a huge headache at times. Yeah. Yeah, I get like I I think it makes sense for like e-commerce. <laughs> sure. Right. And I I think most of the React apps being built out there though are I kind of feel like they're 
login paywalled yes. apps, first of all, that have a splash page that's server rendered or it's just straight up HTML and can have all your SEO in there. I've worked in two software as a service startups that are behind paywalls. Like you can't even access it without talking to someone in sales. You can land on the landing page, which in most cases is a WordPress. I believe it was at both sites. Yeah. And then when you get into the actual application, it's all client side. There's no need for server side. Yeah. And like, that's fine. Like people's computers are fast enough for the most part nowadays. And it gives you like, if you, if you need to display charts, animations, all that stuff is, it has, it's down the client. Yeah. It has to happen on the client. Yeah. And when you, like the main maintaining like something at server side and then passing data to your client side components because of like navigation and routing kind of gets mixed up. It's just kind of a headache. I'm really in favor, unless you have a very specific use case, right? To have, yeah, like your client side part of your product that's behind your login wall, paywall, whatever you want to call it. And you just have a, completely different site landing page that's that your product team can edit easily like a wordpress site or something yeah Yeah, and it should be i mean and that's like the other thing to think about the right tool for the right job like in in the current place that i work like we use Vite, which is it's like a it's a i think encapsulation around roll-up which is has gotten much better apparently over the years but like it's fast it's nice like it doesn't have as like big of an ecosystem as like webpack does but also like webpack is a huge pain and nightmare to configure and deal with like it it does the job for most sites i think really well and there's a plugin probably that exists that's an analog to whatever it is you're trying to do with webpack are you guys using monorepo our our front end and back end are in separate repositories so so what's your monorepo like on the front end so like we have the application itself like the the thing that people are accessing. And then we also have like a library of components. I think, I think we also have the mono repo because something about our CI, we like write all like the CI scripts farther up in the top. Totally, that makes sense. JSON. Yeah. 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 Cause I'm, I'm curious about Vita. I'm, Cause I'm kind of like, I, I'm, I'm all in on mono repos. I really like them. Me too. Yeah. And even having a mono repo for that has your back end stuff and front end stuff kind of, I mean, not, all siblings of each other you have some organization with that but even when you have multiple languages yeah it's working great okay. like we we have we have services and in, in node typescript we have our rust services there we and in the top level mono repo it holds a package.json and a cargo file mm. and it actually works out pretty nicely because what I really like about Node is just being able to put scripts in your package.json and run them with a npm or yarn command, you know? Yeah. So, so you can do that from Rust then if you want to activate something. Totally. If you yeah. want to like build our Rust services or run them, you can do it by a, a yarn command because package.json is right there at the root. Yeah. Works pretty nicely, actually. So um, you actually end up using package.json then for like... Managing a lot of the the scripts that you're automating through there, or yeah, we use yeah a lot. So we put our our scripts for running our our containers locally, so you don't have to do any Docker commands. Yeah, that's a funny thing. I haven't touched Docker in a while. We don't we don't have it at my current place, at least not on the front end. Maybe one of the back end services uses it, but yeah, in in a front end only monorepo, I 
I wouldn't use Docker. It seems kind of overkill. Yeah, especially if it's just like the one application. I could see if you had like 10 microservices that you yeah. were trying to manage that then it might make sense to have, you know, the, the Docker images, but... Totally. Yeah. All right, yeah. I mean, love it or hate it, React is, I think, here to stay. I think it's really the the winner, at least for the time being, just in terms of being able to scale with teams really easily. I think there's some other great frameworks out there that are outside of React that could become more interesting in the next few years. But I think that right now, React's a place to stay in, like, love it or hate it, you're going to have to probably learn it if you're going to work on a web app at some point. Yeah, and, and also I think it's good to mention that every other new framework out there for client-side development, they all take inspiration from React. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you in the next one. See you, guys.